I like that song. I do. I mentioned in class this morning that uh, this is one of my favorite Sundays out of all the year. And the reason being is you have no excuse to take a nap. All right? You had your extra sleep. You have no challenge except, no, no, that's not right. Wrong response, John. Wrong response. <laughs> oh, it's good, to, it's good to be loved here, right? <laughs> I was doing some research on the internets, and I found this. You'll find, you might find this impressive or disheartening. Um, this was about our life and how much time we spend doing various things. The average North American will spend six months of their life sitting at stoplights. Whew. Eight months opening junk mail. One year looking for misplaced objects. Two years for us men. Two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. Five years of waiting in line. Ten if you go to Disney World. Six years eating, which I'm okay with, that one sounds fine. 21 years watching television. That's the average. You realize some of you are breaking the average on the, other, the wrong end of that? 21 years. Another article uh, was published with this. It was really another fascinating idea. It says, if you are 35, which some of you aren't there yet and some of you are well past that, if you are 35, you have 500 days left to live. That's what the article said. Now, here's its premise. Uh, it went on to contend that if you subtract the time that you spend sleeping, working, tending to personal matters, whether it be your hygiene, eating, traveling, some of these uh, the daily chores, that for the next 36 years of your life, you will have 500 days in which you can truly choose what you want to do. So 500 days to live is how they understood it. The thing is, we need to think about how we spend our time. Because no matter how we understand these two, you know, things that I got from the internet, however we understand how our time is spent, we recognize that our time is spent. Whenever it's done, it's done. You don't get a do-over with time. We like to fantasize about these things. But time is often considered an enemy in our busy world. Oftentimes, whenever we think of time, we think, well, we just don't have enough. If we had more time, we could do more things. But we can't manipulate time. No matter how hard we try, there are still only 86,400 seconds in every day. Feel free to check the math. Yeah. We only have that much time every day. No more, no less. But we like to fantasize, hey, what would we do with extra time? We, we fantasize about, what, what if we had a time machine? I don't know, I, I fantasize about that. What are some things that I would go, and if time were not a matter for me, and I could go anywhere in time, or I could go and relive some moments and maybe do it right, you better believe I would jump in that time machine. I would change a few things. I would want to keep my experiences and my knowledge, but I'd like to change a few things in my past, and I'm, I'm sure a few of you are amen in that. But then also on the other side, it might just be that I would rather times, you know, slow down for a bit. I'm watching my kids grow up, and people keep on saying, hey, it only, it only moves faster as they get older. I'm like, some days I'm like, please move quicker than it is now. But other days I'm like, oh, no, 
slow down. And I really wish I could manipulate time. Don't you? What would you do if you had more time? What would you do if you had, say, an extra hour? Like daylight saving time coming to an end. I know the case can be made that you really don't gain anything in this extra hour. It happens in the night and it doesn't really change anything, especially if you have kids. It doesn't change. But still a case could be made that there's a level in which we gain an hour. I like uh, the, all the memes that go around this time of reminding people to change their, their, their clocks back. Um, what is it? Benny Hinn? Uh, Benny, oh, what's his name? The faith healer? Yeah. It's his Sunday. Everybody fall back. Did you see that one? Okay, sorry. Sorry. That was probably not appropriate. <laughs> it's one of my favorites, though. The thing is, we are bound by time. We are, no matter how we like it, we are bound by time, and we don't get to manipulate it. We don't get extra time. You still have those 86,400 seconds in a day, no matter how we want to slice it up. And so we work to manage it, we work to save it, but there was a day in history, a time in history, in which some people experienced more time. The story takes place during the, the reign of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20. 2 Kings if you're looking on this screen, I apologize. That's going to be really small. So uh, see what you can do to look at that screen. That'll be a little bit better. 2 Kings 20 verse 1 says this. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. It's not the kind of prophet that you want in your life, Right? When you get sick, you want the prophet that comes in and says, I'm going to pray for you, things are going to get better. But Isaiah is told by God to come into Hezekiah's life. He is ill already and says, hey, put your things in order. You're going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Hezekiah, if you trust the Lord, this is what's going to happen. Okay, this is absolute. This is clear. This is no question about it. Have you ever been around maybe some family members or maybe you've experienced this self whenever the doctors have said there's nothing we can do you're going to die you're going to die from this illness it's only going to we don't we can't we can't predict the time but you're not going to recover from this in my work in my ministry I've been a, uh, been able to be around some people that have gotten that, that news a lot of people handle it in different ways. One of my favorites is whenever people take it as a wake-up call and say, you know what, I don't want to waste any more time. I don't want to hit that average of 21 hours of TV watching in the next time that I have. I want to truly make something meaningful of the time that I have left. I want to do something. Tim McGraw's song, uh, you know, was just, what would you do? I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull, main, bull named Fu Manchu. You got that whole song in your, if you like country music, you might know that one. But the whole thing is, what are you going to do if you knew your time was coming to an end? Hezekiah is no exception to this. His time's coming to an end. In this moment, he does the only thing that he can think of. He gets on his knees and prays to God. 
prays that we can see. What we see from this is he's praying for more time. If I only had more time, well, Isaiah's already left. Hezekiah's praying. Before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you and the city from the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my, on, my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. I love this passage because it gives so much power to our prayer life. Do you realize the word of the Lord to, from Isaiah to Hezekiah was, you will not live. You are going to die. That's absolute. It, God wasn't kidding here. God wasn't just like yanking his chain and saying, hey, you know what, I'm just going to throw this out there and see what you do with it. This was real. He was going to die. That's what the word of the Lord says. And for some of us that say, well, you know, the Lord doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. I'm glad we have examples like Hezekiah because the Lord does. Now, how and why? That is partly his business because he's not going to grant every request that we give. But it's clear from here he, re he grants a repentant heart. Hezekiah repents. You have heard, heard your prayers, seen your tears, this is understanding of repentance, and I have granted your request. Fifteen years. That's a pretty big, that's cool. I don't know if Hezekiah prayed for 15 more years, but that is what he gets. He's granted 15 more years, but that's not the only piece of this promise. The second part of this promise, and deliverance from the king of Assyria. Now, at this point, Assyria is breathing down um, uh, Israelites' necks, threatening to conquer them. That's important because of what Hezekiah does next with his 15 years, but I want you to consider the day that Hezekiah's had. Hezekiah, maybe his illness has been getting worse over time, but he gets a message from the, he gets a visit from the prophet Isaiah. Word of the Lord comes to him, you're going to die. He gets on his knees and prays, and then the same prophet comes back and says, hey, wait, the Lord changed his mind. You're actually not going to die. You're going to be granted 15 more years. Man, what a roller coaster ride Hezekiah had had. But the thing is, if you've ever been in that situation, if you've ever been in a situation where you know you're going to die, and then someone comes in and says, actually, I don't think you are. Here's a promise from the Lord. It sounds a little too good to be true, doesn't it? Maybe not in your deathbed, but some of you have been dead in your sins and you think, man, I have done so many things wrong. I've done so many things bad. There is no reason that God would want me to be a part of his kingdom. And then you hear the message of grace and you hear that God loves you despite your sin, wanting you to leave your sin. In fact, he can cover your sin with his blood and it sounds a little too good to be true, right? So maybe Hezekiah is feeling a little bit of that, saying, hey, wait, how do I know the Lord isn't yanking my chain now? How do I know that this is legit? So he asks for a sign. Meanwhile, Hezekiah had said to Isaiah, what sign 
will the Lord give to prove that he will heal me and that I will go to the temple of the Lord three days from now? Isaiah replied, and notice this is Isaiah's response to the question for a sign. This is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. Here's a question, though. Would you like the shadow of the sundial to go forward 10 steps or backward 10 steps? Isaiah gives the parameters of the sign. Something's going to happen with the sun. You choose. As God thinks about it for a moment, he says, you know what? The shadow always moves forward. That's easy. So make it go back, uh, 10 steps backward instead. Let's see God do that. So Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord to do this, and he caused the shadow to move 10 steps backward on the steps of Ahaz. 10 steps backwards. Now that is impressive. That is a sign. Isaiah, well, Hezekiah was just asking for a sign, a simple sign to prove that the Lord's message is true. Isaiah offers him something better than just a sign. He offers him a miracle, a change of the day, a chance to relive some moments. This greater significance is happening. It's not, there's a host of signs that could have proven that this message was true to Hezekiah. There's a host of things that could have been proven simply one-on-one to Hezekiah to say, yes, you know, Gideon in his fleece, that was just a Gideon. It could have been just a Hezekiah, but this was a chance, this was a moment, this was a sign that God was doing something significant here. Why? Now, of course, there's some debate, as there should be. How did this really work? I mean, Those of us who know a little bit now, scientifically, of how the world works, we recognize that in their time, they may not have understood that the earth is revolving on its own axis and revolving around the sun. So for this to really work, scientifically, you might think, well, God would have to reverse the rotation of the earth, right? Possible. Or God would have to move the sun. Possible. Because if God who created all these things and literally set it into motion, could he not affect the motion of such things? So I don't know how he did it. It also could have been a localized event. It could have been something that there in Jerusalem they saw, they understood, they recognized as a sign clear from God. But it really wasn't on the full magnitude of the rest of the world. Here's the thing. We don't know, but what we do know by faith and our understanding is that it happened because they believed it. They believed this sign. So it was clear enough evidence for them that it actually happened because the shadow moved back 10 steps. That's impressive. Now, why the sign, though? Hezekiah is on his deathbed. He prays to God for more life. He's granted 15 years, and the sign of this is backing up 10 steps on the sundial. Why this sign? It can't all be about Hezekiah. Or maybe it can, but I think of so much more. Remember the two promises. Hezekiah, you will truly live. And in three days from now, you're going to go to the Jer- Jerusalem, or you're going to go to the temple and intercede on the people's behalf. Through that intercession, the second thing of this promise is going to happen. King of Assyria is going to be taken care of. I believe the sign is in direct correlation to the king of Assyria. See, the Assyrians worship many gods. But their chief god was a god by the name of Asher. Now, Asher happened to be the god related to the sun. 
In other words, this was the God that was supposed to be able to control the sun, and he was the God in charge of all the other gods. And so by this sign, not only is Hezekiah getting confirmation that the Lord's promise to him for 15 more years is legit, he is also getting confirmation to the promise that the Assyrians are no threat to God. God will take care of them. He's demonstrating his power over who they say is the powerful one. The sign was meant to remind Hezekiah who was in charge, but sadly, this message seemingly was lost on Hezekiah. The reason I say that is because the only other story that we have of his 15 years is not a great one. See, in the next time that he has, in these 15 years, um, we find out that there's a, a, a group from Babylon that come to um, pay their respects to Hezekiah because they hear that he's dying. Now, to their surprise, whenever they show up, he's actually fine. He's okay. And so he welcomes them into his home, into his kingdom. And in fact, he goes around and shows them all of his kingdom. Isaiah comes to him later saying, hey, who is that that just left? Well, it's people from Babylon. What did you show them? Well, everything. And Isaiah then tells him, and that's to your downfall. In fact, he almost gives the connotation in, the, in what he talked, whenever he talks to Hezekiah, that it's because you didn't believe that the, in the sign that God is in control that you have sealed your own fate. See, the Babylonians are going to conquer the Assyrians, and they are going to now be breathing down Israel's neck. And in fact, Isaiah says, your own very sons, your very own sons, are going to be taken captive into Babylon. All because you didn't fully trust God. In all reality, the message, the theme of this story is kind of a sad one. Hezekiah is afforded 15 more years. What would you do with that time? Well, apparently, he was a good king, but his worst years were the extra time that he was given. I don't know that for a fact, but that's how the story reads. Is that his worst years were the ones that were extra. So I go back to the question I posed at the beginning. What would you do if you were given more time? If you had more time in the day, if you had more time for your efforts, if you had more time to do the things that you wanted to do or that you um, were really called to do, what would you do if you had more time? If you had an extra hour, what would you do with it? You know, hearing that question now, it kind of sounds like that's really the wrong question to ask. Because what that question begs us to consider is, what are the things that I would do if I had more time that I can't do now? And I don't believe that's a gospel question. I believe the question of, the, of Scripture and the question of Jesus and the question of God is, what are you doing with the time that is allotted to you already? What are you doing with the time that you already have. See, Hezekiah's problem was he wanted 15 more years to do the things that he hadn't gotten to do. And a lot of times that's how we look at our lives. Give me more time so I can do the things that I really want to do. If I only have 500 more days to live, give me the chance to live those how I want to live. The problem is that is not the call of Christ. That is a selfish ambition. That I just want to live the way that I want to live. 
We are so bound by time that, and we so want to squeeze as much out of time that we can that we work ourselves to the bone trying to save time. This leads to a lot of wonderful inventions. But, you know, ever so often um, computers get an upgrade, our phones get an upgrade, and we all of a sudden look at the one that works fine, and we see, but it's not as fast as this next model. And we get sold on the speed because it's going to save us time. And we're going to have so much more time because we now have microwaves that can save us time. We now have uh, Instapots. You don't even have to wait on the crock pot all day. You can have it in 20 minutes. Don't get me wrong. I love my Instapot. It's good stuff, man. Baked potatoes in the Instapot is... I'm getting off track. Sorry. Um, thing is, we want to save our time so bad. And if we can't save it, we want to manage it. In fact, this is one of the biggest self-improvement things of our, of our time is saying, how do you manage your time? Let's take a look at how you spend your time and let's slice the things and use your time wisely. Do you know that is not the message of Scripture? It's not to save your time nor to manage your time. The message of Scripture is how are you going to redeem your time? In fact, there's two main passages I want us to look at for that, Ephesians 5 and then Colossians 4. Ephesians 5.15 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as, as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the, what the will of the Lord is. We're jumping over to Colossians 4, verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Both of these passages using the same kind of phrase of making the best use of your time. Now, that really sounds like time management, doesn't it? And it would if the Greek word for time here was not kairos. See, the Greek word, Greeks had two understandings of time. One was chronos. The other was kairos. And the word used here is kairos, but first let me explain chronos. Chronos is where we get our understanding of chronology. This is the linear marching on of time. This is how, the one that you can uh, designate into days, into hours, into minutes, into seconds, nanoseconds. You can, you can catalog chron, uh, chronos time. And so chronos time is the mentality of saying, you know what, the preacher better be done in the next five minutes because that's his time, okay? Thank you for no amens. That was a great job. <laughs> a few of you were like, mm-hmm, but you didn't say it, all right? Just because you didn't say it, it doesn't count now. The thing is, that's chronos time. Kairos time is a different understanding. Kairos time is the opportune time. It's the right moment for something. And that isn't necessarily sitting there of saying, okay, at 1227, it's the right moment. You know, as we're thinking through some time mentality, what it's saying is the things are coming together that this moment, it's the right moment. And it, I can't put that on a calendar. I can't schedule the right moment. That's Kairos. Making the most of every opportunity is maybe the better understanding instead of making the most use, uh, best use of your time. So with that, what's going on with this Kronos and Kairos understanding is you don't need more time. You need to redeem the time because every 
moment has an opportunity that we let slip by when we're focused so much on saving or managing our time. So often our focus is on Kronos that we miss the Kairos. And that seemed to be the problem of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah wanted more time, but how he used the time was not for the opportunity. He used the time seemingly for his own pride. If you go and read that passage again in in 2 Kings, you will see that his pride shows up. You see that his pride seems to dictate a lot of things, and it does us as well, especially when we're focused on not trying to waste the time. Today, in theory, you were given one more hour. But were you really? And is really that even the point? You were given an extra hour. What are you going to do with that time? Maybe that's the wrong question still. Maybe not, oh, I got an extra hour of sleep, or I can go do this project because now, you know, I've got a little extra hour somehow fit in there. No, the thing is, you didn't get any extra time. It just got allocated a little bit differently. Kronos is still in charge of your day. But what if Kairos was? What if you understood that every time selection, every moment had some opportunity? What if you were to recognize that whatever time that you have is a chance to redeem that moment for God? Maybe we need to recognize that every day we have many moments to redeem that moment for God's purposes. So maybe we need to quit worrying about trying to manage our time or save our time better in order so that we have more time to do the things that God wants us to do. That's not what God is trying to do is allocate our time in such a way where he gets enough. What he's trying to say is every moment that you have ought to be his. Everything that you do ought to be for his glory. So if you're waiting in line for two years of your life or more, how can you do that for God's glory? If you're eating for six hours of your life or more, or six years of your life or more, how can you do that for God's glory? The hard one's going to be if you're watching TV for 21 hours, how can you do that for God's glory? Every piece of your life, redeem the time, redeem the moment. And I don't know, but it may be the moment right now for you, for some of you. Some of you may have heard the message before and you've understood about the call of the cross. You've understood that God loves you so much that he gave his life for you so that you could walk with him and be his forever. And you have understood that, but you haven't made the commitment because you're always waiting for, oh, the right time. Don't wait for some moment in chronology. Maybe the opportunity is knocking right now and saying, hey, Now's the time. Don't wait any longer. Redeem this moment. Give your life to Christ. Commit to him through the waters of baptism, participating in his death, burial, and resurrection. Come to a new life where every hour can be redeemed. Every minute, every second. All 86,400 of them in a day. Every time redeemed. Maybe you've already committed your life to Christ. And where you need to redeem the time is that you need to use this opportunity to go and offer forgiveness to someone you have withheld it from. Some of you are going to lie to me and say, well, I I really don't harbor a grudge to people. I might challenge you on that. You might need to offer some forgiveness. Well, Mitch, they don't deserve forgiveness. That's the point of forgiveness. 
They don't have to do anything to deserve it. Forgiveness is on you. Use the moment, use the time wisely to forgive. Maybe you just need to get your life right. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that every one of us can grow in our understanding of redeeming the time. Every one of us can use the moments to redeem the time wisely. So this morning, if the time is yours to let it be known, your plans of redeeming, and would you find one of us, the ministers or the elders surrounding the auditorium, would you find us as we stand and as we sing together?